electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, a status update for America's job economy. Spoiler, it's not the great news our economists were expecting. It looks like it was a big disappointment. What do you think happened? The first big interview with Wall Street's top regulator, the new chair of the SEC, Gary Gensler, on GameStop, Elon Musk, and keeping up with the times. Every decade we get new technologies. There were debates a hundred years ago whether to allow a telephone on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And here we're in the 2020s. And Gensler on new guardrails for crypto and Bitcoin investing. I think that we need greater investor protection there. And we don't have a federal regime overseeing the crypto exchanges. And that's a gap in our system right now. Those stories plus Twitter's spreading the wealth. And we're taking stock of our own tip jar. Set up your Venmo account. I will tip you. you can you believe have that? have a Venmo account. He thinks I have a Venmo account. It's Friday, May 7th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And it's Friday, so let's take a look at where First up today on the podcast, the first Friday of the month is, as always, Jobs Friday. And the number of jobs the Labor Department reported were created in the U.S. in April was a huge miss. The number here just came across, it looks like 266,000. It looks like it was a big disappointment at 266. Economists had been expecting a much larger number. Estimates were for more than a million new jobs added to the rolls as the U.S. economy comes out from the shadow of the COVID-19 pandemic. But hiring was a huge letdown, and the unemployment rate ticked up to 6.1%. Neela Richardson is chief economist at payroll company ADP. What do you think happened, Neela? Well, first, this is a hugely disappointing number. This is something I think just going around the horn, no one expected. But I really think that what we're seeing in the data is that the hiring we saw in March was really a recall of existing workers that were furloughed or laid off. Um, And so it wasn't adding new jobs. It was recalling uh, existing workers. And there was obviously a slowdown this month. Uh, We'll need to dig through the numbers. But uh, we all expect the momentum to build over time as the economy reopens. There is something structural, I think, going on right now in terms of the jobs market and how companies are repositioning their hiring to increase margins, to uh, reduce risk. And, and for workers on the other side, reducing health risks. So there's some structural things, not just cyclical at play here. And I think it's going to take a, a bit more time to suss all it's, all it's out because this is not expected as a number. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon speaking out on Washington's plan for an, do we just have permanent quotation marks, for an infrastructure bill and the likelihood of higher taxes. He wants lawmakers to be specific on spending. Good luck. A saying, in his words, just throwing money, it doesn't work. As for raising taxes, here's what he said. 
I think the notion that you can have you know, uncompetitive corporate taxes and you can be a competitive nation is a little crazy. I don't want to bore people with it. And by the way, the details, in the, the devil's in the detail, which is it's not the 25 percent you support. It's the other stuff, territorial, guilty chart things, you know, deductions overseas, gap taxes. And that's the stuff that that what they have currently that they wouldn't just be taking away the Trump corporate tax cut. They'd be tripling it literally. And that will really hurt capital formation in the United States. And I just capital formation drives all productivity, all technology, all growth. And if policymakers don't get that and they think they're going to drive a lot of capital overseas, I think they're making a mistake. That's so uh, that that's so last century. We, we don't need that stuff. We got the Fed. We got the Fed. We got the Fed. Who needs all this capital formality? This <laughs> crazy stuff. We got the Fed. We got the Fed. Relax. Diamond made the comments in an interview posted for the Investment Company Institute's uh, general membership meeting. It didn't surprise me that, that Jamie uh, said that and actually looked at. We, we even on our board, our CNBC board, somehow got got through, <laughs> got through here that shows that those new rates, if they did go back to, if you add all the guilty in and the territorial and everything else, we're, we're far and away at 28 would be the top uh, paying country uh, in, in the world. So that somehow slipped through the cracks. Twitter is introducing a tip jar. It's a new feature designed to let users send money to their favorite creators on the microblogging service. Twitter accounts can be connected to accounts on Cash App, PayPal, and Venmo. Twitter will take no cut of the money sent through the feature. Uh, Joe, I was playing with this last night just to see how it worked. It's, it's really more of a pass-through. Um, you have to actually you know, merge your effectively Venmo account or PayPal account or something else with it, and all it's really doing is giving you a one-click to, to send through that. But I had an idea for you, which is I know that you, know, you have a lot of users out there that you don't feel comfortable with, so you, you oftentimes block them. Yes. And my thought was that rather than block them, you could actually charge not to block them. So if they tipped you, then you wouldn't block them. <laughs> and it would be, that, so it'd be sort of a pay, pay, pay for no blocking. That would be Have the haters the sort of, pay for access? That's a pretty that, good that idea. That was my thought. That was my That's thought for idea. you. Pretty good idea. By the way, I, said, I, said, I actually did play with, mine, play with this last night, and uh, you can set it up in about two Two seconds. So you could have people uh, sending you money right now if you want to the, the commercial break. That is the digital equivalent of sitting on one of those things where people get to come up and throw balls to try and knock you in the water. Exactly. Exactly. I, the money's not worth it. I, I could put it on um, that, that one setting where you only see people with check marks and, and they wouldn't. That's what I do. What no, I, I do the mute. If you, instead of blocking mute? people, I mute them. Yeah. Andrew, you got like a million followers. And... Not for nothing, but a lot of them have sent me things that say Andrew Ross Sorkin blocked me. So I, I think you need to look in your total blocking, and we'll compare. Now, I've got at least oh, 5,000. I, I need to look inward. I need to yeah. look inward. You need to look inward. I've blocked it. I admit it. I've blocked at least 5,000 people. You know, because oh, no. my hair, Andrew, I'm looks say, Does that show up? Yeah, it does. I you might have blocked it. a... I might have blocked a dozen people, maybe two oh, dozen people please, in my entire today. career. You mean today? Well, you know what? No, no, people no. People don't. People real, don't say that your hair looks fake because it, you can tell it's real, and it, you know, mine looks so good. Thank you. That people think much? that it's fake, that it's dyed they, because it looks so good, and I have to I have to block those people. Here's my question. So it's just money now. You can't do. 
you can't do crypto yet to, to, to send people. Well, right? I thought of that. I thought of that, Joe. Actually, if you have a if you have PayPal and you can transfer money using PayPal, and I, I look, I haven't tried it. I, I set it up to see how it would work, but I didn't actually try to move money to somebody else or have people move money to me. What do they let they you could. do? Just bit, just Bitcoin. I guess I they could if they wanted. I want to try these new ones. On PayPal, they could, these you could send ones. crypto. I want to. I want to try you these send new some ones. Crypto. Pick one of these, Sorkin, Over. for for the next one. Digibyte, V Chain. Safe Moon. Do, I feel like we're just like the Kentucky favor. Derby. How about Safe Moon? During, the commercial, during the commercial break, set up your Venmo account on, and I will tip you. I will tip he, you. He Can you believe that? He thinks I have a Venmo account. He doesn't have. A I'm Venmo still account. on MySpace. I, I told you that. I, you know, but and a lot of times I can't know what's going on because I've got my Walkman on and I can't hear what people are telling me to do. So I no, Andrew, that's okay. not. Uh, that's well, not. If the, audi- the audience can then tip me, I will then print out the money and I will bring it to Joe. How about that? That's an idea. Uh, I, want safe, I want it in safe I, mode. Can people tell if there's no money in your tip jar? Because that would be embarrassing. Yeah, that's... That, I, don't, that I be- don't know. I, we'll see. Maybe I'll get a tip. Who knows? Look I up don't know how, how many this people works. you block, because I don't believe you. A couple Here's of a dozen. Here's a tip. Don't hold your breath. I've seen a couple. They send me a couple of dozen. <laughs> right. Look it up. I've, I've, I admit it, come five, I've got 5,000. I, I mean, I'd, I might be at a million if I didn't block I, I'm going to look up these stats. I can't figure it out. Coming up on Squawk Pod, new SEC Chair Gary Gensler met the House Financial Services Committee yesterday. Without objection, the chair is authorized. Answering questions about the GameStop volatility, social media, and stocks. We've got to lean in at the SEC and learn how to basically be a cop on the beat. Next his first major interview as Wall Street's top regulator. We need to update and freshen our rules to ensure that while retail investors and any individual has First Amendment rights to speak and so forth, that they're not misleading the public, they're not manipulating the public, manipulating the markets. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box uh, here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Andrew. Great, Joe. Uh, We should tell you brand new SEC chair Gary Gensler has been weighing in publicly on some of the topics we're going to talk about here. We talk about it here all the time on Squawk. Appearing uh, in front of the House Financial Services Committee yesterday, Gensler spoke about the meltdown of Archegos Capital Management, short selling and the Reddit fueled spike in GameStop 
earlier this year that specifically is an issue that Gensler has spent a good amount of time on since being confirmed as SEC chair. Gary Gensler joins us now in an exclusive interview, his first uh, since taking on the job. Chair Gensler, it's great to have you on the program this morning. Um, let, let's start, if we could, by trying to get your thoughts on the GameStop uh, situation, but really because it's a microcosm of so many things going on in the marketplace all at one time, right? You have sort of the social media-enabled uh, interest uh, in this stuff. You have these new apps, the gamification of it. You have these issues about payment for order flow. It captures all of it. But in terms of risk and how you're thinking about it, what's top of mind right now? Well, first, let me uh, say thank you, Andrew, for inviting me back. It's good to be back on Squawk Box and to see Joe and Becky as well. Um, look, I think that markets evolve and technology comes along and changes markets on a, on a regular basis. But what we're seeing in the markets right now, as we're seeing across the country in everything that we're doing, is we're able to use our, uh, you know, our apps, you know, God, God, you know, bless because uh, we can get so much more access and we're bringing more access to the capital markets for retail investors. But we also have to look out uh, for our core principles, our core principles of protecting investors and fair, orderly and efficient markets and capital formation. That's written into the law, but it's it makes sense today, just like it made sense when it was written into the law. And so how do we update our regime, our reform, reform our rules to still protect investors when these apps are sort of encouraging active trading through the behavioral prompts. And then our whole market structure is starting to see some concentration in it. And that could sort of diminish efficiency in our markets. Well, let's talk about both of those issues. In terms of this issue of gamification, and you were asked and talked about this in the hearing yesterday, uh, you clearly have concerns about gamification. The question is, to the extent you want to regulate that, how do you do it? Well, it's about sales practices and the marketing and communication with investors. And for a very long time, the SEC and its uh, self-regulatory organization, FINRA, have looked at these things. So we're going to seek comment from the public about these new tools, about props and leaderboards and behavioral uh, ways to get individuals to trade more. And, and look, there is a bit of a conflict of interest. Uh, uh, an app that says that they have zero commissions is earning revenue on your trading, the, the listeners to your show's trading through something called payment for order flow. Somebody is paying them for that order flow and paying them for that data. Uh, we know this is to be true when we go on any application, somebody wants right. to get our data. But so we're going to take a look at this and get public comment and then see how we might freshen up our rules. So, Chair Gensler, on that issue of payment for order flow, and we've had Ken Griffin on the program. We've had uh, Vlad Tenev from Robinhood on the program and so many others um, who've made an argument that because of the, the lot sizes for retail and the like, that they're actually getting better pricing is the argument they say for their customers. And so that they're, that they're saying they're actually it's not costing uh, the end user. Do you believe that? Well, there's an, there's evidence that shows that there's a conflict. We had a case uh, settled in December of last year where the wholesaler in that circumstance actually had written to the broker and said, you know, there's a trade-off. We could give you more payment for order flow or we could give 
you a uh, better execution for the customers, a clear sort of trade-off. And there are brokers that don't take payment for order flow. And as I noted uh, yesterday, the United Kingdom, Canada has banned it. So we're going to take a close look as to how the market structure can work best, be most efficient, and uh, protect investors. But in your mind, though, do you see a solution being the issue of more disclosure, meaning as long as the customer knows this is the arrangement, it's okay? Or do you think the possibility of banning it is real and that that might be a better solution? So, Andrew, we're still at early stages. I'm a third week in this new job, and I'm so privileged and honored to be in this job that President Biden asked me to do it, and the Senate confirmed. Um, so I want to hold off on that, but I would say this. Disclosure alone may not do it. And, and there's, there's, there's times where there's an inherent conflict, and then thinking about what the market structure can be to be best for investors, but also for issuers. See, if we have concentration in the middle of our capital markets, concentration tends to lead to higher prices and more fragility. And that means even issuers accessing the markets know that there's a gatekeeper right. or an individual in that middle that can extract what's called economic rents. Chair, you made a point yesterday uh, that Citadel Securities has publicly stated that they effectively execute about 47 percent of all trades. Is that too much? And to the extent it is, or it's something you're concerned about, how, what kind of solution do you see? Well, again, we're still working on it, but I'll share something else. If you or I put a market order in, again, I don't any longer because I'm the chair of the SEC, but beforehand, put a market order in on a retail platform, the vast majority, well over 90% of those go to these wholesalers. It doesn't go to the lit markets like the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ or in an options world, Chicago board and so forth. A lot of these are really just going to the wholesalers and they're not as lit, they're not as competitive. So it's not clear that we're actually getting best execution in an unlit internalized wholesaler as contrasted to the lit markets. Hey, Gary, it's great to see you. Thank you for being with us. Great this to be with you, I, Becky. I, I'd like to ask you a little bit about Archegos. And I know that these are all situations that you all are kind of looking into, trying to figure out what happened with it. But with Archegos, it was leverage that was the serious problem. And the Federal Reserve, after the Great Depression, put all kinds of rules in place, put leverage rules in place that used to keep people at about 50%. You couldn't be levered at more than 50%. Of course, Wall Street since then has found all kinds of ways to kind of get around those rules. And, and one of those is, is total, um, total return swaps. That was the problem at Archegos. Um, I, I know you can't comment specifically on Archegos, but what can you say about leverage and about finding ways to, to get much more leverage than the Federal Reserve ever intended? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think, Becky, you raised a really good question. I want to add something. I think it was about leverage and also transparency. So when one group, in this case, a, a, a purported family office, uh, but one group wants to express itself in the markets through these derivatives called total return swaps and does it with multiple firms, then it starts to aggregate into significant positions. And we have a history in the markets to say, if you have significant positions, 
There's transparency and the public gets to know if somebody's over 5% or sometimes it's over 10% of a company. And so that transparency was lacking here. And you're absolutely right also that through these derivative contracts in multiple banks, there was a lot of leverage in that, uh, that trade, if I can call it that. So is transparency the problem or is <laughs> you know, finding ways around leverage the problem? Or, or, or you think that those are both things that need to be cracked down on? Uh, we're taking a close look at both. I, I asked staff to uh, make recommendations to the full commission under existing authorities to bring more transparency to this derivatives market, but also to look more closely at, uh, at, at these issues that you raise about leverage. Now, the SEC did have authority, it took, took a while, but did have authority to address uh, these securities-based swap arrangements. Uh, this came out of the Dodd-Frank reforms, and that regime is going into place later this year and then into 2022. So I think there would be some more transparency, some more control on what's called margin, which is a part of this leverage calculation. Uh, those rules have not yet gone into place, but I think we'll need more transparency than is even in those rules. And one more question on this. It, it seems like some of the rules were flouted, too. Filings that were supposed to be made were never made by that family office. Are, are you going to be looking at enforcement for uh, these family offices that are basically hedge funds that have tons of money and just don't seem to be following the rules that already exist? Well, you can imagine I can't speak to a specific matter, but in general, we're going to uh, examine and enforce the rules without fear or favor. We're going to look at individuals and corporations. And yes, that includes hedge funds. But I, of course, I can't speak to any one individual matter. Uh, Gary, I wanted to pivot to the issue of crypto, uh, something that you're very familiar with. You, t you, you taught a whole class at MIT uh, about crypto. And, and thus far, the SEC has not uh, got into the business of trying to regulate it. You've made some comments that you think that Congress ultimately will have to do it. What do you think, it, to the extent that it should be regulated, how would you do it? What are you thinking? Well, so you're right. I was honored to teach not just one, but a multiple le levels of different courses in financial technology and in, in cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. I think to the extent something is a security, the SEC has a lot of authority and a lot of crypto tokens, I, I won't call them cryptocurrencies for this moment, but crypto tokens are indeed securities. The uh, prior chair had indicated that, the prior SEC brought numerous enforcement actions to sort of bring some of those security or investment contract tokens uh, to, to into the rules. But there are some like Bitcoin, if I can just focus on that, and that's about half of this $2 trillion asset class right now. Uh, it's a digital scarce store of value, but highly volatile. And there's investors that want to trade that and trade that for its volatility. In some cases, just for its, it, it, it has lower correlation with other markets. I think that we need greater investor protection there. And we don't have a federal regime overseeing the crypto exchanges. So if investor wants to trade on that Bitcoin, understanding it's highly volatile, highly speculative, but if they want to trade on that, that we have in place some investor protection. And that's what I was saying, I think, is a gap in our system right now. 
But it's a gap in our system that needs to be addressed by whom? Uh, is that something that Congress will have to address? Because it's very possible uh, uh, Congress won't address it. And if they don't, is that something that you think you have, you have an angle to address? Well, I think that as it relates to Bitcoin, and I'm not speaking to all, all the other tokens right now, but as it relates to Bitcoin, while our sister agency, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, has some limited anti-fraud and anti-manipulation authority, there's no federal authority to actually bring a regime to the crypto exchanges, whether it's stock exchanges or, or futures exchanges. There's regimes that were put in place in the 1930s to help protect against fraud and manipulation on the exchanges and protect the integrity of that. Uh, and I think that's really uh, something right. that uh, we'll be working with Congress and uh, if they see fit to try to bring some uh, protection for people that want to invest in this speculative asset class. In terms of that protection, though, how do you think of the role of social media? I mean, this goes back to GameStop, but also you're seeing it in crypto. Um, Elon Musk is going to be on SNL this weekend. Uh, we've watched Dogecoin uh, nearly double over the week as people speculate that he's going to do a segment or a, a, a skit around that. Uh, he's been on Twitter talking about these things. What do you think of the ce celebrities taking to Twitter? Um, you know, we're looking at a tweet right now. Let's find out how, just how live Saturday Night Live really is. Um, and literally just on the backs of the, these kinds of communications, you're seeing uh, stocks move. You're seeing crypto move. What, when, when you think about investor protection, what do you do about that? If anything, so, so I think that uh, we've lived every every decade. We get new technologies. There were debates a uh, hundred years ago whether to allow a telephone on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And here we're in the 2020s. We we need to update and freshen our rules to ensure that while retail investors and any individual has First Amendment rights to speak and so forth, that they're not uh, misleading the public. They're not manipulating the public, manipulating the markets. In the securities field, we have a lot of authorities to do that. In a number of these crypto fields, not so clear if it's Bitcoin, for instance, which has uh, been deemed not to be a security. But I do think that we're going to be freshening up our rules and really hearing from the public. Um, I think that uh, the community and the social media is good. But let's recognize also that now computers can train on that social media, do something which is called sentiment analysis. This is computers watching our words. In fact, this interview right now probably is being interpreted in sentiment analysis, meaning a computer somewhere is taking Anders in my words and saying, what does it mean for the markets? Hey, uh, Gary, I don't know how far you want to, uh, to go on this. Uh, it, it, just take yourself away from SEC chair for a second. And just as a guy who taught a course, courses at MIT, and I guess you didn't teach a course, you didn't call the Bitcoin or crypto course Ponzi scheme or tulip mania, or it was on crypto. So, uh, and we have a lot of uninformed opinions. People call it a Ponzi scheme. People say it just takes the greater fool theory. Someone has to pay for it. There's no inherent value. Just. As someone who knows how it works, you called it a store of value. Did, were you just referring it to that as a perceived store of value? Or in your view, is the, the mechanism itself, does it imbue Bitcoin with, a, with, with actual value that people now ascribe to it, that it's similar to digital gold, in your view? 
So um, I think what's important at the SEC is to be technology neutral and still stay to our core principles of protecting investors, capital formation, and those efficient markets. In that sense, and working with Congress, I'm saying, I don't think there's that investor protection for Bitcoin investing at this point in time. Now, how has it been perceived by investors and what did I teach at MIT before this is that it's a digital scarce speculative <laughs> store of value. It could go to zero or it could go high. And that's that's the nature of it. But oh, I think boy. bringing investor protection to that market is uh, relevant if this uh, is going to continue. And it brings confidence and trust uh, uh to investors in overall markets. We found that in the equity markets, we found that in the bond markets, that when we bring investor protection to those markets and we try to our best within our resources to tamp out fraud and manipulation and right. other bad actors, uh, that's good for capital formation. Gary, it's on some corporate balance sheets as a alternative to cash. Uh, and you know, when I hear, um, Fed Chair Powell or, or Treasury Secretary Yellen talk about it, I hear one thing, which would make me think you'd have to be absolutely insane to put hard-earned corporate dollars, you know, a cash manager to put it in that. Can you give us any more than it could be worth zero or it could be worth a million? Accord. You know, I, I know, I'm uh, Joe. Uh, <laughs> there are other guests you're going to have one for the next four years or however long I'm graced to be in this job. I'm not going to speak about valuations. Hey, Chair Gensler, help us with this. And maybe it's a full, I'm just curious actually about your philosophy when it comes to investor protection, because right now there's such a uh, divergent view of what investor protection means. Um, there's a lot of people who look at the interest in the markets and say it's really exciting that there's younger people that are getting in the markets that hopefully they're learning about the markets, that this is gonna help the markets uh, longer term. There are people who say, actually, there should be less investor protection to, to some degree. And in fact, that the investor protections that we've historically have, uh, have had have actually not protected the retail, but they've, they've almost protected the establishment. You hear that all the time, the suits, uh, if you will. And I, we've, we've been criticized on this very program uh, for talking about that uh, or, or for trying to, quote unquote, try to protect the, the investor, the way we've talked about historically. How do you think about that right now? Um, and also the idea that certain investors have access to certain types of products that others don't. Well, I don't know whether you were commenting that I should take off my jacket and you guys aren't wearing one. But, but to, to, to your question, at the core, I think investor protection has helped economic growth. I think that investor protection has helped capital formation because it it builds trust and confidence in our financial markets. And I think it lowers what's called the risk premium. It lowers the, the risk that somebody's defrauding uh, the investors. Now, investors can take risk. That's at our core of our sort of public policy. Investors can take risk as long as they have that disclosure, all of those uh, what's called material disclosures from an issuer, somebody raising money, somebody investing and uh, that, that those disclosures be kept current and they are updated, as we know, quarterly and annually and the like. That's, that's how I think of it. I think about the exchanges where there's not that protection yet on the crypto exchanges, but on the exchanges to ensure that there's integrity and that if somebody says there's a bid or an offer, it's real. 
Um, and then thinking about this market structure and these events around uh, January's volatility, is it the most efficient market? Meaning, does it help lower the cost through a lot of competition? Competition and transparency is contrasted to darkness and concentration. So that's the balancing, but bring transparency and competition in markets. That's good for investors. That's good for issuers. This one's a little theoretical. Um, you know, the biggest issue for regulators trying to see things before they happen, and regulations often are only put in place after there's a crash, after there's a fiasco, after there's a situation where people lost a lot of money. Um, it's just natural because there are so many lobbying organizations, so much, um, so many block, blocks that are put up to try and keep the system status quo and as it is. But, but if you were looking out there, if there's one or two things that, that you're most concerned about, we did hear from the Fed yesterday that they're concerned about asset prices dropping really rapidly as they've gone up so quickly. If there's one or two areas that you're really concerned about, maybe preventing things before there's a crash, before there's a big problem, what, what would they be? Well, I think the heart of yesterday's testimony uh, was trying to get ahead. Technology has been a good thing, bringing a lot of access. Uh, um, it's easier user interfaces on our mobile apps, uh, not just in finance. That's, that's generally been a positive outcome. But to guard against that we don't lull ourselves into a place that we're not protecting investors and we're not ensuring for that market integrity that I mentioned earlier. So I think it's, it's good working with the staff and my fellow commissioners to get ahead of that. I also think disclosure, that we're in a new um, decade and investors want to understand more information about uh, climate risk and human capital uh, and, and, and the drivers of value inside of the businesses and the drivers of risk inside of the businesses. So uh, these are a number of the areas that, I, that we're going to be spending a fair amount of time with. Uh, Chair Gensler, we want to thank you uh, for being with us. Uh, hope, you, hope you come on back because I do want to talk about climate. We have a, about a million questions about SPACs that we want to get to. Um, and uh, I'll leave you with this. Are you going to be watching Saturday Night Live on Saturday night? And if so, do you, do you have a message for, for Mr. Musk? <laughs> I don't know whether I'll be watching Saturday Night Live, but uh, I have no messages for any anybody that's on the show. They they uh, um, I'm sure that they've got enough uh, media consultants to advise them. Uh, Chair Genza, we appreciate you being with us. And uh, we, uh, we again, we look forward to seeing you in person very, very soon. Joe. Thanks, Andrew. I, uh, I found a couple of these. I found VeChain. It's up 16% today. If you want to pay to be unblocked, you can pay in VeChain. I'll take that. I found Digibyte, too, but I can't find SafeMoon. Sorkin, do you know where that is? Did you look up how many people you've blocked? Yes. Yes. I, I want to prove it. I want All to right. prove it without right. giving it away so you can see it. 32, Joe. All can right. you see I'll, that? I don't know. Yep. Yeah. They must be. They must have been. What? They really hit a nerve. What the, can you tell us? Just give us an idea. What, what do they have in common? What nerve did they? Um, well, there's a guy. I mean, there's a couple of them. I mean, I can start reading their names aloud if you like. No. Let me tell you, I, I have something <laughs> John, interesting. So do you Becky, actually have 5,000 people you've blocked? 4, have you blocked 5,000 people? 4,403. <laughs> now, I have muted. I have muted. That's insane. Only seven, I've only muted 762 people. And I know people say, 
Like my, my kids even say, don't block people. Then they show people you've blocked them and they've gotten to you. Exactly. It only takes me it's a, a point second. Of pride. To, That's why I never block anybody. I have anybody. time to block a complete whatever you want to call them. I know. It's and not you, that. And, and you've it, given them the satisfaction. Good, they know they got Because I've gotten to. satisfaction, do too. And, I'll, and apparently, I don't get any satisfaction <laughs> from, from the muting. I don't get any satisfaction. I want I them to know. I get no <laughs> satisfaction. Squawk Pod will be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan on this Friday morning. Joe, I should also tell, and Becky, but uh, we did get a couple of tips to the tip jar. I you think did. we're at a, a $6.69. <laughs> so far, we got one for me. 50 Wait, cents. These are tips. Uh, these are tips me. for Joe I, to unblock him? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, these are people who have sent in a dollar, a dollar. We should thank them. Uh, there's a guy, David, who says, for Joe to unblock me, he's paid a dollar. And then someone else, another Jim, says, print out and send to Joe 69 cents. Um, so we're, we're, yeah, I think we're at $6.69. Am I allowed to uh, unblock them but then mute them? That's that probably I, not fair. I don't fair, know. But yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to also, buy, Andrew, buy breakfast for everybody you, at some point. But, but mm. the, the mute uh, for you, are, are you down in, like, really low mute? Too? I mean, do you or, or are you thousands of muted? Yeah, I don't. I don't. Oh no, many. I don't do a lot of no, muting. No, I have. Either. I have a. I have so a you pretty, just sit there and take I don't it. Thank you. I'm thank you, man. I have another. You don't care. I mean, I I'm on this show for three hours every day. Come on. You have mentioned some things. If that's not the best example said, of sit there. Someone t- called you a giant turd on the weekend, and you just let that. <laughs> you just sit there and, and that just exists. I usually respond. Yeah. As, as I said, I, I sit here for three hours, so I might as well sit there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you're already, yeah, you, you got, your skin's already thick. That's, a, that's, that's there's some merit to that. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, Andrew. Remember that. That's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Mother's Day, Becky and Pilar and Penelope. Happy Mother's Day. And to all of the super women out there. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, 
positively FedEx. 